Welcome to the My Life is the Medicine podcast, where we get off the never-ending search for more and take an inward gaze to find how our lives have already taught us profound truths. Rather than turning outward to experts or gurus, we talk with ordinary people and reflect inwardly about the life journey and everything felt, thought, and experienced along the way. Join us in casual conversation and reflective dialogue to discover how simply living a normal life, reflecting on our own life experiences, has already given us all the expertise we need. Hosted by Chuck Hancock, an ordinary human who has lived life in many roles, like psychotherapist, software engineer, school teacher, orphan, adoptee, father, brother, mentor, coach, ceremonialist, and more. Chuck is a weaver of wisdom from modern day psychology to ancient wisdom of indigenous and European roots, creating alchemy from everyday modern American life. My guest today is Andrea Hooley. Um, Andrea and I have known each other for a while, and I'll let her introduce more of herself and her life, but um, I invited Andrea because uh, she's someone that I really know and respect and and somebody that really thinks a lot about life and our world and our community and um, and what it all means and how can we improve it all. And, and I wanted to get to know a little bit more about Andrea's story, um, about her life and what she's been through so far, and, um, and hopefully have a little uh, shared learning and teaching today. So thanks so much for joining me today, Andrea. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So to start things out, I wonder if you could just orient me and us to where you are in your life right now. You know, what is your immediate landscape? You know, maybe um, anything about age and and, um, the things that you're spending your time doing in your life so that we just get to know a little bit about like where you're located in in this life and in this world. I am immediately chuckling inside because... I don't have a lot of experience writing my my bio, yeah. but I read a lot of medical notes. I'm in the medical field, so I'm. My name is Andrea. Mm. I'm a 44 year old female, well nourished, well developed. <laughs> <laughs> nice medical description. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm right here in the what would be termed the middle of life, right? Yeah. For the average person. And I feel like I'm so completely average in the sense that, you know, I'm a mom, I have three kids, I'm pretty busy, I have a full-time job, um, I'm just like everyone else juggling all the things. Um, Coming into my own, I feel like, finally, Mm. as I mature, so... um, I feel like I'm in the less of a seeking mode and more in a um, getting things done mode, more of an action mode, taking care of things, taking on responsibilities, um, feeling like I'm just in coming into a different phase. So, yeah, I'm I'm really exploring what it is to, to fully, <laughs> maybe it's a little late, but I'm like, what is it to be fully in this time in my life? Hmm. And stepping up to all that is called upon me as far as responsibilities and opening up my perspective of myself to include other people in a really holistic, integrative way. 
that nurtures myself too and kind of plants the seeds for what needs to come next when I'm in the next phase. So yeah, that's a pretty philosophical answer. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I I think it's showing a a reflection and the orienting that you've already been doing a, a lot in your life. And, um, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about like, what is it like for you, your daily experience about being a mom and working full time and, and trying to step into this fullness of, of your being that you're naming here? Like, what's, what's that experience like? It is like, you know, elders have always said, at least my elders, that the older you get, the faster time goes. Hmm. And I'm experiencing that phenomenon where the days are flying by because I feel so busy. And, um, so the days are really tending to the children, making sure the older ones are off to school and my little toddler, you know, my family, my mother helps take care of her. So just making sure everyone is prepared for that experience and available and feeling okay, you know, and, um, and then going to my work responsibilities And I'm also fitting in a course in between. And um, luckily for me, my work is flexible and autonomous, so I can juggle things the way I see fit. And so I'm kind of juggling all day. And then at the end of the day, I'm usually retrieving the older ones and going home and thinking about dinner and um, trying to focus on each one because I know every child just seeks and needs my direct attention, my focused attention on each individual. It's like, it's kind of, it's a little bit of a challenge to focus on each person in Mm. my family. And there's my mother and my partner there. And I feel the need not to neglect any one of them. (laughs) Somehow I'm like the hub. I feel like I'm the hub and maybe that's a little egotistical or maybe Mm. we're all hubs because we're ourselves and we feel like this, the center. <laughs> yeah. So it is very much about um, trying to, to give of myself across all boards and nurture my own professional development and intellectual development. So it's, it's a massive juggling act. It's a lot of juggling. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, I'm like tired just listening to you. <laughs> and how normal too. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's your story, but I, I do hear this story from a lot of people of, of all genders, but especially women um, yeah. that are involved with mothering and also working. Um, it's a lot. And like, so what do you find meaningful and valuable out of that process? Well, part of it is that I feel so very well socially conditioned and nurtured myself um, through my upbringing that I've been prepared to fill this role because my mother so eloquently and generously has fulfilled it for myself and, you know, my siblings. So it's been modeled to me in this beautiful, wonderful, generous way. Um, So my fulfillment is I find that I'm, I find just stepping up to the plate to be fulfilling. Um, Feeling like I'm making wise decisions for myself and for others. Uh, That's fulfilling. You know, feeling like um, I'm creating this 
stability for all these dependent people Mm. that need that fertile ground for which to flourish. Wow. Um, That's fulfilling. Yeah. And I just trust that it's, it's going to be okay because of this strong foundation, even if we're maybe a little boring, maybe we don't have as many adventures as I'd like for us to have. Um, I still feel like my, my children are just so very well taken care of. Yeah. Wow. And I love that that is valuable to you because you received that from your own mother. Yeah. Wow. It sounds almost like idyllic, like almost like this like perfect family that like the mother (laughs) is like really taking care of all of her people and juggling all these things. Is that what it feels like? No. I mean, (laughs) I've alchemized it into that. Because it benefits me to think of it more positively. Of course, there's dysfunction, like everybody's family, right? There's, you know, I was just talking about this with another person where everyone's strength is also their weakness. It's like there's always a flip side. So, yeah, that's my mother's strength. And everyone she meets will report back that she's like the most nurturing, non judgmental person. But of course, she has codependencies, and I've grown up with that and there's enmeshment probably going on if there was a psychological analysis of our family dynamics um maybe there's a little sacrificial ideology going on like i have to be to be a good mother you have to sacrifice yourself Hmm. um so there's definitely a flip side to that idealism right but i don't really know how to change that reality of it of what it actually takes on a physical and time level so I prefer to just spin it to to feel good about that you know right feel good about what it takes because it's hard yeah yeah I know I I ask really coming from my own experience too because I'm a father and and have two kids and um and so in some ways I really relate to the juggling of work and, and, and all these other things, getting them to the places they need to go. And then sometimes I get stuck in feeling like, oh gosh, if I was just more intentional about this, or maybe if I had given this better wisdom to my kids, you know, then they would be different in this way. And like, I I can idealize my own family in a way that like probably creates undue pressure for myself and for them. Oh yeah. 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 You have that too. (laughs) Well, I don't, um, let's see. I don't feel that I create undue pressure, but maybe I smooth over some of the, uh, things that are not so ideal, like that are still a struggle, but I feel like they're so normal because I've experienced them and observed them so many times with everyone I know basically. Right. But there's still like conflict. Of course, I feel like my children are well taken care of, but maybe ask my daughters, my older daughters, and one will say she's neglected because she used to be a baby and now she's a middle child Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) or the older one who, you know, is just classic teenage, just abrasive, you know, kind of mean and moody right and she might say otherwise too right (laughs) yeah well because they're humans too with their own perspectives yeah yeah ever evolving yeah it reminds me i was talking to a client the other day that was 
thinking about um, uh, moving in with a, a new partner and, and talking about blending a family mm -hmm. and, and all the complexities of it and, and the children are kind of young now and, um, but they're going to be adolescents soon. And, and the client was saying how much work it was to take care of all these young children and don't know if he wants to do that. And, and then, um, I said, well, yeah, but they're going to be adolescents soon. He's like, yeah, then they're just going to be assholes though. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I've, <laughs> I was thinking that word when I was describing my eldest, but of course, you know, it's, she's not just that she's, she's also amazing and artistic and finding her own expression. But yeah, I know you have to be up for some mistreatment as a parent of teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Or at least be able to weather the storm, right? You know, not yeah. necessarily take it, but yeah, but it, know that that's part of the parenting journey. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Luckily, unless I'm sleep deprived and, you know, not well nourished myself in some way, I can pretty much weather that storm. I don't take it personally because I just remember, I just remember what it's like to be there. Yeah. Yeah. In flux. Yeah. Adolescence is hard. <laughs> yeah. And now I can't imagine what it feels like to be growing and developing and changing in now because things seem to be also changing so quickly with technology and then there's a layer of like existential crisis on top of us with pandemic and climate change and so I can only imagine what that setting for them right as they think about growing and evolving and what that feels like to feel like maybe things are really bad yeah while they're actually also really good because right. we're so privileged yeah exactly yeah that reminds me of one of the things that i hope that we might talk about today is that you've traveled a bit and spent some time in other cultures mm -hmm. and uh, i think that gives you a really unique lens and perspective on this idea of of what is hardship and what is privilege and um um, I don't have a r real clear way of asking the question, so maybe it will just ease into it. If you could tell us a little bit about like your experience living and working with other cultures, what that has been, and and what are some of the things that you've experienced and learned from from those travels? Yeah, of course, I would love to. Um, I'm certainly not a seasoned world traveler like some people are, but I did do a very deep dive for two years in the Peace Corps in Haiti hmm. uh, as a young, you know, after my college degree and I went straight there and I had studied cultural anthropology in college. So I wanted to kind of walk the talk of just experiencing a different culture. And of course, we always learn about the global dynamics and I kind of felt like <laughs> this it also sounds abrasive, but I remember having this distinct, these words in my head, like as Americans, we're kind of like the assholes of the world. Yeah. <laughs> the teenagers of the world, like culturally, we're pretty yeah, immature, definitely. you know, and there's kind of that entitlement going on. Um, so anyway, so I really wanted to just figure out how to be humble in that. And, and there's uh, some idealism there that, got crushed you know it's about what 
what you have the capacity to do or help or even the motive of being the helper, you know, but so Haiti for two years, 2002 to 2004, um, a relatively stable time for most of that for Haiti. It's often very unstable and Peace Corps is not there now and it usually is not. So it was a little bit novel. Um, and so, yes, just destitute poverty, but the flip side of that is strong interdependent community Hmm. and um, and just knowing that culture is always so fascinating for me it's because it makes up so much of what we believe is real Mm -hmm. and how we behave and what we do and what we give meaning to and so it was it was very healing for me to just get out of my own it's like you it's like a fish in water you know you can't really see your own very well until you're out of it and then come back so um yeah just seeing what what it it looks like and what people's experiences are in a place without all these basic privileges running water you know stable food sources Hmm. um infrastructure roads healthcare Emergency services. I've been thinking about that lately with some of the pandemic stuff and the fatigue that's going on in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just see things that you, I mean, as especially as a young person, it's hard to even wrap one's mind around the suffering and people's capacity for suffering. And it does seem kind of like it reminds me of that book, The Prophet. And I had that book with me. So that's oh. probably why I've kind of outlined it in this because it helped me so much Hmm. um just put some philosophy to it it does seem like the deeper that sorrow carves people out the greater capacity for joy Hmm. so um and i definitely see that in the dance the music the vibrancy the the expressiveness of people there able to use their bodies and their voices really loud and big you Mm. know and um and it's very normalized it's not just a personality type it seems like it seems like everyone shares this capacity for just being completely embodied and expressive and and maybe that's my idealism coming through too but because i'm certainly there's certainly people who are low on the social hierarchy that maybe don't have as much capacity for those things but yeah I just it just it was such a blessing I I can't say that I helped much but I certainly received so much right and I even maintain the mantra of gratitude when I flush the toilet these days (laughs) (laughs) that's one real concrete takeaway huh (laughs) yes because you just it's just so apparent after living in a place with no running water and no like sewage infrastructure. I was in a rural place. Of course there's places in Haiti that have that, but most, most places do not. And, um, yeah. So it's amazing what quality of life when you can just not have to deal with your shit. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Literally. Wow. That's, (laughs) it 
seems like such a simple thing, but if you feel into that symbolically and what yeah. you were talking about before of like, you know, sometimes it feels like we're in an adolescent culture. I mean, what do adolescents not want to do? Clean up after themselves, <laughs> deal with their shit, right? And uh, it's kind of built into our culture and our our plumbing. Exactly. <laughs> And it's not just shit. It's like trash. It's waste, too. Right. It's piling up there in the streets, and it's getting worse with globalization and packaging and, you know, little commodities all wrapped up. And it's not coming from within the country, you know? Mm-hmm. Those corporations don't exist there. Right. Yeah. Right. I appreciate you sharing that story, too, um, and, and even painting the picture, too, of no running water and food scarcity, you know, those are things that definitely been on my mind as as you probably know, I spent a lot of time with um, some Lakota people on Mm -hmm. some reservations in South Dakota. And and so I too have been around indigenous people and, and, um, and more impoverished type ways of living. But for a lot of folks there, there is even some of the infrastructure that you're talking about. And it really helps me to like start to consider um, even those basics of water and food and, and, and that sort of thing. Obviously, um, um, in our country, like there's uh, a quality of food issue that can happen, I think, especially on the reservations. Um, but anyway, I don't want to go too far down that road just to come to what you were saying is that, yeah, like in the depths of some of those struggles, um, I, I've seen such like connection and joy and um, uh appreciation of the simplicity um even too you know just like being able to come together and um and be in a ceremony together like can can bring people such joy when it's like yay this is this is different than the suffering that i was just in and the isolation i was just in alone in my home that like that was a valuable lesson i saw there too um um yeah, is there, can you say more about like the community or the how joy was created or how community was created and, and what you saw? Yeah, um, it really had to do with physical space hmm. <laughs> because of the lack of resources. Say a big family would share one one room home, hmm. and everyone was just together, and it was preferred to be together and even um on public transportation everyone's squished together Mm. and they're just receiving so much togetherness and touch even maybe it's not like purpose affectionate touch but it's just the touch of being together and there's no squeamishness about it you know they're just that's the norm so I feel like that is nourishing them so much because I think about here how sometimes I get starved for touch Mm. and it's like just squish me in a car with some people and I'll probably feel pretty good. (laughs) I'll feel better. (laughs) Um, yeah. And just shared activities, constantly shared activities of preparing food or, you know, there was kind of a, well, I want to say there, you know, there's still like gender roles, pretty strong. Um, so women are often helping with women's, you know, together with women's work and men with men's work, but there's definitely integration. I can't say that's the only way, but they're, they're also, um, it's a culture of service. And I feel like people are socialized to have that as their love language Hmm. of service. And it's very, very acceptable and expected to ask of service of children, of each other, of whether you're fetching water, whether you're helping, you know, 
like clean the rice out from the, the little rocks or picking string beans, you know, getting the, the ends off. Everyone are just shelling beans, just like together. People are just together sharing stories by blog. You know, that means joking, but it's kind of like they're just shooting the shit mm. together all the time. And, and um, <laughs> it's kind of funny because secrets are also held in high, like people are kind of secretive because it's really hard to keep a secret. <laughs> <laughs> <I bet. laughs> so they have all these like different veiled ways of when they're trying to keep something under wraps. But I want to say it's just, it's the togetherness. It's because when there's scarce resources, people share those resources. Hmm. You know, not everyone has their own tool for this or that, or they don't have their own, you know, space. And so just by default, they're, they're together and, and they're sharing more. And less, I mean, there's definitely individualism, but it's like, it's just less so. Less um, hoarding, I want to say. Yeah. Just because that's totally unacceptable too, hmm. you know, to hoard for yourself. Right. There's also problems with that ideology too. There's a lot of ideas of jealousy and um, things being sent to each other spiritually because of jealousy or um, resentfulness and... So it's got the sure. flip side. Of course, yeah. <laughs> There's always the flip side. Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, we started this conversation, you talking about your own family mm -hmm. and, and who's in your world and living with. And I wonder, like, if and what of those experiences and lessons and insights that you experienced in Haiti have been implemented in your own life with your own family? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't really fully made the connection but now that we've kind of come around to it, I definitely um, just saw how that it was so fulfilling and meaningful and to just be together. Yeah. And, you know, since I'm living in my mother's house with my mother, I mean, that's in a very intentional move there. And she helps watch my toddler and it just feels so rich for to be intergenerational in that way yeah and that was another thing that i really appreciated was that when there's lack of resources you can't pay other people to do stuff for you right so everyone's sharing the work and they certainly share the care for elders and it's just as natural as anything it's not a sacrifice it's not you know a burden it's just the you know just the the cycle of life i guess is a cliche way of saying it but so yes it has it has really ingrained that i want to test that out here yeah well, i want doing it yeah yeah and i and i want to i want everyone to just feel like that sense of belonging yeah yeah well, that's beautiful thank you <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm wondering, like, what else um, have been big events for you in your life that have really shaped your passions and your curiosity? Anything else you want to share with us? Yeah. I, I love, I mean, this is fun because it's fun to talk about myself. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's, it's the best. Um, let's see. What has shaped my curiosities? Well, 
I've, and this might enter into a little taboo territory. Okay. But um, I have, I'm always going through cycles of like coming upon new ideas, new theories. Um, and so when I was in Haiti, I want to say I, I had my epiphany at that time was that I didn't know how to do anything. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt of little use mm. because everyone around me there knew how to live there. And I needed, and they, of course, everyone helped each other. No one's an individual. Like you're not going to be fetching all your own water, cooking all your own food, getting yourself transportation to go buy it. You know, it's like, so I had helpers for me it was so interdependent. I was kind of like a baby in some sense where, mm. um, you know, someone would help me tell these kids, go get Andrea some water, you mm. know, because I can't physically carry all the water I would need every day. It would take up too much time right? just to maintain my little self. But, and I wasn't very strong either. Mm. <laughs> and I haven't mastered carrying things on my head. <laughs> um, so that, epiphany at the time was I don't know how to do anything and I, I need some sort of tangible skill this cultural anthropology is fluffy mm. when you're just in the middle of a village in Haiti I can observe and write things but that doesn't feel very useful to these people around me right so I came back and I was very inspired by Paul Farmer medical anthropologist who's done a lot of work in Haiti and he explained things that i was observing and making these connections about um, poverty and infectious disease and health in general and social determinants of health. And so I became fascinated by that particular category because off, this is also because people came to me in Haiti thinking I was a medical person because mm. often foreign people who are there are in the medical profession because they're doing medical missions, you oh. know. There's a lot of people don't go there f as a tourist. You know, they're usually right. there being a helper of some kind. Yeah. Um, which, good sides and bad, you know. Right. There's a flip side to that for sure. But. Well, I just have to say, too, I was struck by the image of, like, you were there to be a helper and you were having helpers. Yep, exactly. <laughs> that yeah. was. Yeah, that was something I sat with a lot while there being, like. Wow. Not disillusioned in a bad way, but just so grateful for, for the help. It was like I was almost embarrassed, mm. you know, to receive all that help, too. But, yeah. I mean, and I felt like, oh, I just don't have enough to give mm. to be receiving all of it. And then, I, you know, it's like, what's my purpose here? Or what can I possibly... I mean, this is... I'm sure you could analyze a lot in this thought, but it's like... I'm taking up space here, taking up resources, and why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was, I have to be honest, that it was for my own self-development. I mean, that was the biggest outcome of that. It almost seemed like there was a little hesitation to even name that, and yet I, when I hear your question, like, I'm taking up space and resources, why? Like, wow, what if we all ask that question? <laughs> <laughs> Not just when you're out in Haiti. Right. Yeah, right? that's true. That's true. Yeah. Because in reality, it's taking all that labor somewhere else. So we just don't see it. 
for That's everything that we have. Exactly. Yeah. And and it was for your self development. And I think you started on the story because the like it shaped you in some way. Like how to, like this self development that you were gaining, like then gave you something that you're sharing to others. What is that? Well, when I came back, I acquired those tangible skills and I became hmm. a nurse and then I was in the healthcare system and and that was pretty satisfying for a while but it's a completely different atmosphere here yeah where you see the suffering that happens is is from different causes I mean there's definitely poverty here but it looks different right and there's so much that causes suffering that's theoretically in our each of our control like where we could avoid that through lifestyle but it's so complex because first of all if someone's you know dealing with survival needs they're not designing a lifestyle they're just dealing with the tyranny of the moment mm -hmm. of like what they're trying to take care of next just to survive but so what what have can you ask me that question again Sure. Well, actually, I'm going to back you all the way up because you started okay. this by saying this might start to go into taboo territory. <gasps> oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I was trying to like cycle through because I kind of went out into this rabbit hole for a while before uh -huh. the pandemic. Uh -huh. I went into a rabbit hole of like wellness, pornography, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. call it, and um, lifestyle design, which I'm still very much interested in, but and some of this new age spirituality stuff and how that stuff connects. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then the pandemic hit and I saw how so many paradigms and approaches failed to meet the crisis in failed to first even acknowledge that it's a crisis, mm -hmm. even if it's not for them or people they personally know, but it's happening to some people, vulnerable people for whatever reason that they're vulnerable it brought me back to the this idea of like being tangible, being very responsible for um, my ideas and theories, mm. and if they're of use to the world in a in a tangible, omni-considerate way, um, or if they're harmful, you know. And so, I think where I was going was that. I'm at a place now where I feel like it very much correlates with my stage of, de of life, my age mm -hmm. and my stage of development of feeling quite serious about what I'm putting out there and what, you know, just how I'm sharing information and ideas yeah. and how I'm interacting with people in my life and what is the overall like paradigm that I'm having that's informing those things and is it misanthropic or is it you know compassionate and people loving like what are my deepest values that I feel like are unshakable yeah even in the face of varying like varying opinions political opinions right so um yeah I know that's so vague and I'm really good at saying things like really out there and having <laughs> a hard time bringing it back to earth yeah but yeah i'm just i'm feeling a sense of of deep responsibility 
about that kind of stuff. Right. So deep responsibility about your ideas and your actions. And um, I think what I've heard you say, too, is that um, by having these alternative experiences and alternative views, like maybe you have a broader lens around um, what is true with those things. I don't know. What, yeah. yeah. I mean, I have some statements that are um, maybe first drafts. We have a, a friend that says shitty first drafts. Yeah. It might be a shitty first draft statement, but it's like, yeah, you can think that vaccines are a terrible idea until you go to Haiti, you know, right. like, I mean, that's, that's like, you know, of course it's, there's a lot of nuance there and a lot of different explanations, but I just feel like there's a reality. There is a, there is a concrete reality. Yeah. And that, um, that it's important to consider like what's happening in the, in the, in the depths of the world in like the, you know, in the barrios in the, in the ghettos. And I don't even know if that's an appropriate term anymore, but <laughs> just in these like really down to earth, salt of the earth people in their very basic necessity seeking space that is what I want to consider yeah. with all my ideas. Yeah. Definitely considering like just the reality of things. And uh, I, even like there was so much in your statement of like, I don't even know if this is an appropriate term anymore. It's like there's sometimes this um, ever moving target of the way things ought to be and, and, without looking at, well, I mean, how we started this conversation of, of like, the shit, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, like, just being able to call things what they are, and rather than, oh, it's got to be just like this, or it's got to be like this, or it's got to be like this, and we don't want to offend people, um, is a way of avoiding actually getting down to the reality of things, and I think that's what I'm hearing you say, is you're really wanting to be in touch with the reality of things. Yeah. 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 I through this pandemic and being in the healthcare system and I'm not even in direct patient care. So I'm not even dealing with the brunt, but I'm just like adjacent to it. Mm -hmm. And I really have become intolerant of naivete. Yeah. And it's just like, when I be feel that intolerance, it's like, well, how can I not be so naive? I mean, no one can, everyone's naive to some extent, to something, to an, to another experience, but I just feel like that's a worthy pursuit at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that naivete is part of the youthful or adolescent mindset Yeah. that we were talking about earlier. Um, and so I, yeah, I want to like honor you for being able to say like, yeah, as a 44 year old woman, I am stepping into this level mm -hmm. of maturity and trying to not fall into naivete. Um, I certainly know people in their fifties and sixties and seventies that haven't done that process yet. So it takes wisdom and courage to do it. So thank it, you. Yeah. It also takes <laughs> a little scrappiness, you know, Yeah, like, <laughs> There's some privileges I don't have that line me up better with some certain experiences. Mm -hmm. So I, I was about, to, I'm, I'm trying to be careful about what I say, but I do wonder, it's a, a question. If one has more privilege, it's kind of, 
it's harder to not be naive is my shitty first draft thought. Yeah. So I don't know if that's true. Yeah. Well, and again, part of the point of this conversation is to connect it back to your life experience. So like if you look back at your own life, we've talked a lot about Haiti. We could keep talking about that or or other experiences from your life. Like what has taught you that uh, that question might even be one that's worthy of asking. Yeah. Well, I can't say that it's from directly my own life because I am I I just keep coming back to that I'm actually quite privileged and taken care of and I have all my needs met and I'm able to meet my basic needs with relatively little effort compared to many people. Mm-hmm. But I work the my the the population I work with as a community health nurse is usually people who referred to me because of uh, medical complexity and social determinants of health, Mm -hmm. interacting with those things. I mean, they're totally together. Um, And so I hear a lot of stories and outcomes, and I see a lot of different outcomes based on life expectancies. Even in in our relatively privileged community, there's really just, it's just so interesting to me that, um, that, there are these large external factors that come together to create certain outcomes or line people up to have a certain life experience or health outcome. Yeah. That's really hard to swim against for them as an individual. So yeah, I just, I just want to honor that, that that's, that is a thing. (laughs) It it is a thing. And, And maybe you're, not um, having the first-hand experience for yourself, but you, through the places you've put yourself in your life, you're you're seeing it firsthand for yeah. sure, which I think counts for something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware of a lot of stories, yeah, of people's personal stories, mm-hmm. and it's such an honor and a privilege to to be privy to that. Absolutely, yeah, kind of like you are in your work. You get to hear the intimate details mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah definitely it is it is a privilege to hear what human life is really like um you know it's part of my motivation for these conversations is that we have these idealized views of like well if we just you know eat healthier or exercise more or have the right life coach or right therapist or whatever, that human life is going to be something that's really um, something that's ideal. And the stories that you're talking about and the stories that I hear are actually, uh, I mean, they're real. I mean, back to the realness that you were aiming at before too. And and like our our asshole adolescence or the food (laughs) scarcity or, you know, the traumas and assaults and things yeah. that happen, like that's real life too. And, and some of those things really shape us. Um, you know, like my own experience was growing up with poverty as well. And, and my parents were too proud to get on any sort of like food stamps or aid or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in, uh, yeah, like just thinking that all home cooked food was horrible because because <laughs> <laughs> um, my mom didn't cook very well and we didn't have um, quality food or, or anything. Um, and um, but that that really 
taught me to appreciate, you know, in the same ways that you've been talking about um, your experiences, you know, that like actually just having food and just having some community is something, you know, that's worthwhile and valuable. Um, and it doesn't have to be some glor- uh, glorified, idealized version of things. Yeah. 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 And it's brought me back to the, just this basic feeling, which I, I love it when I feel it because it's, it is very nourishing is that I love people, mm. you know, even these wonderful, like highly achieved, exceptional people. And then also, you know, the highly achieved, but highly dysfunctional, bad habit people too. I just, it's mm. like, I love people. I just, my heart just feels really connected mm. and I want to maintain that. That was another thing that's kind of happened. It's like, I don't want to feel like even if people are, you know, destroying the earth, mm-hmm. it's those big systems, kind of like our super organism, but not individuals themselves necessarily. But I just want to maintain that feeling that that's it's my intention to keep loving people. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Even when they're destroying the earth and destroying each other and and hoarding and <laughs> littering and <laughs> I know. Yeah. And just feel the anger about it, but yeah, I I just don't I just don't want to retreat. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well that's a lofty goal. I wonder what made that so important for you? We're going to have to just push pause on this conversation. And we'll pick it up again in the next episode of My Life is the Medicine. Definitely don't miss out because things get even more exciting as we start talking a little bit more about intimacy and sexuality and motherhood and choices that have been made and need to be made and maybe can be reevaluated as life moves forward. We also talk a lot more about what feeds and nourishes her in terms of community and sisterhood and relationships with other women. So we'll see you next time in part two of this conversation with Andrea Hooley. Thank you for listening to My Life is the Medicine. We hope our guest story this week has inspired you to look closer at your own life. Maybe you heard some of your own story and their story through many of these experiences are common, ordinary experiences. And maybe something about their story was unique, which also might have inspired you to think about how your life, too, is unique. Either way, we hope our story today has helped you to see that your life, too, is the medicine. If you'd like to consider diving deeper into your own story and sharing your story with others, we hope you might consider joining us on a future episode. And if not, that's okay too. We hope you'll continue listening, keep reflecting, and help you see how your life too is the medicine. Take good care, and we'll see you next time.